Fitness friends, mental health champions, brothers and sisters in recovery, welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman, and I'm not a licensed healthcare professional. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a counselor. No, I'm a guy with 2,033 days of sobriety, and I'm a guy with the gumption to put his story out there. I am not a social worker, however, I do have one on the podcast. Her name is Chelsea England. She's not just a social worker, she is the founder of MKE Overdose Prevention, which provides resources, materials, education, free Narcan training, further the mission of harm reduction. Folks, Chelsea was gracious enough to share her story of recovery. I'm so grateful that Chelsea came on the podcast, and I'm so glad that all of you are here along with us. I'm looking out the window, and it's a beautiful day for us to get our 40,000 steps in. So let's get it. gang so i'm gonna get in a couple of plugs here one of them is gonna be kind of sneaky here in a few minutes uh but the other one's gonna be very deliberate let me lead off with telling you that there is going to be free narcan training tonight at the daily bird in river west the milwaukee neighborhood so if you're around here and you're listening to this podcast today tuesday october 4th get yourself to the Daily Bird at six o'clock tonight. Get trained in administering Narcan, and let's all let's all save some lives, man. If you can't make it tonight, or if you're listening to this thing after the first Tuesday of the month, every first Tuesday of the month, the Daily Bird hosts free Narcan training. All right, so here's a confession. So we're putting on this show, This Is My Brave, at the Egyptian Theater in DeKalb on October 13th. Very excited about it. Locals taking the stage, sharing their stories about battling and triumphing over mental illness. You should go to egyptiantheater.org, get your tickets. It's going to be a phenomenal show. We got music. We have poetry. I'm going to perform. We have a live mime act, and this mime act will absolutely blow your mind. So we were at rehearsal recently, and one of our performers, who spent many years in the throes of heroin addiction, says, I mean, I'm not sober. He said this to uh, the director and myself. He mentioned it to us because Landon, the director, and I are both sober. We're teetotalers. So this cast member says that, and I immediately default to, oh, well, he. this is just like an AA thing that it's like, well, I'm always an addict. I'm never fully recovered. But no, this, this guy still, still drinks. And I remember hearing that and immediately feeling this need to be like, oh, no, no, well, that's okay. That, that's fine. Like, who the fuck am I to, like, tell him that it's okay for him to follow his own recovery plan and to live recovery the way that makes sense to him? Folks, there is no one right way to do this. And this is why I absolutely adore Chelsea England and the work that she's doing through MKE overdose prevention. Because the idea through harm reduction, certainly one of the ideas through harm reduction, is that we need to get people to stop doing heroin. We need to get people to stop taking pills because fentanyl is everywhere right now. And just the tiniest pinch of this fucking drug, fentanyl, can kill people. So first off, through MKE overdose prevention, and other phenomenal people around the community and around the country, we're getting Narcan out there so it's more accessible to the public so that when people do overdose, we can save their lives. But now, specifically, one of Chelsea's passions is she hasn't done heroin or opiates in many years, but she still drinks. She still partakes in THC. And guess what? She doesn't make the terrible decisions that she made when she was when she was using heroin now this is precisely like the definition of the term harm reduction 
where we're getting people off devastating, life-ruining drugs. And if it means that they use another addiction to reduce another, what the hell is wrong with that, right? Dude, I'm addicted to coffee. I'm addicted to attention. That's why I'm sitting here talking to you right now. I'm addicted to words of affirmation. There's all sorts of things that I use way more often than I should. (laughs) So I love the work that Chelsea's doing. I love how open she was with her story in our conversation. And I don't want to waste a whole lot of time getting, uh, getting us to that conversation. First off, I blew out my voice at the Brewers game yesterday. The uh, effective death knell of the Brewers' playoff hopes. One last gasp for all of us, apparently. So I blew out my voice, but I want to audition to sing the, the national anthem for a Bucks game this season. Auditions are being held Wednesday, so I need to save a little voice. So here, before I get into the conversation with Chelsea, here, here's a chance to learn a bit more about MKE Overdose Prevention, which is a sponsor of 40,000 Steps Radio. Hi, my name is Chelsea England, and I'm the founder and director of MKE Overdose Prevention. Our mission is to make harm reduction tools and education accessible in all Milwaukee communities and foster safe spaces for conversations on recovery. After struggling with opiate addiction and being in recovery for many years, it became clear there is no one-size-fits-all program for people experiencing addiction. We respect everyone's journey to recovery, even if that doesn't mean absolute sobriety. We strive to provide our communities with the knowledge on staying proactive by ensuring every person has access to bodily autonomy and the healthcare tools that they need. Our trainings are tailored to communities, individuals, and businesses who are interested in learning how to use and carry life-saving tools like Narcan and fentanyl test strips. Our monthly community training takes place every first Tuesday of the month at the Daily Bird in River West. If you would like to learn more about us, get involved, or attend future events, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or email us directly at mkeoverdoseprevention at gmail.com. All right, put it on your calendar, that free Narcan training. But for now, please enjoy this conversation with who I now consider a dear, dear friend, Chelsea England. I'm coming into this conversation with a unique like sense of serenity. <laughs> I think it's the fa- <laughs> I think it's the fact that like I know that my voice is junk that it's like usually I come into these conversations really like racked with anxiety to be completely mm-hmm. like uh forthcoming. This morning I'm just chill. I'm just excited to talk about you. Maybe it's the wind chimes in the background of where you yeah, are. Like the serenity vibes here. I'll give you a glimpse of like the view that I have, and maybe that will also help you be chill. Oh, wow. Yeah, that works. Where are you exactly? Um, I'm like a hat, like 40 minutes from Detroit. It's uh, east, southeast. <laughs> I don't know. It's all good. Here, Here's my view back here this morning. Can you see the posterior of my administrative assistant back there? I mean, yeah, that also looks cool. Like... <laughs> I think he's a little bit bummed because I just installed this this soundproofing blanket. So Yeah, so now I like you. I mean, maybe he likes like that you can only get a glimpse. <laughs> like there's now there's some mystery to him, you know. Just a little tease, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, tell me about what you're up to right now. You have your you have irons in so many fires between working with uh, working with the homeless population, going to school, MKE overdose, which, is, by the way, is it cool if I call it MKE ODP? Does- <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of wish, like, when I started it, I was like, because now I like saying MKE OP, and I'm like, that would be so much easier than, like, having this long-ass gmail address to give people but it's cool so what are you up to right now are you are you uh you taking some time or what yeah um i mean i'm just like working remotely it's nice to put 
like physical distance in between me and Milwaukee because when I'm there, I feel like obligated to, you know, I mean, there's always a crisis with when you're working with homeless population, which is fair and valid, but also I can't like solve every single person's problems. Mm. So, Is that your wiring though? Yeah. Or- like I'm like, my sister's like, I'm just hanging out with her at my aunt's house. Um, and she's like, can you just fucking like sit down? Like, can you just stop doing things? And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> but but within there, is, is there a certain amount of, of savior complex at all? Do you think? I hate to play like our armchair therapist, but. Mm, no. Because well, like good. most of my, I feel like most of my clients don't have AODA. I mean, like, they do, but they don't. Like, they're not, like, in this situation because of AODA issues. Mm-hmm. Like, 90% of the time, that's not the case. And, yeah, I mean, all of my clients are families, and I don't have kids. So, like, it's very much a learning experience for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't tell people how to parent. Mm. I just want to, like, support them. I think for me, I would probably a lot of times tell my clients to fuck off but I know that they have kids and like I want (laughs) I know that like poverty and addiction and homelessness and mental health all form this giant wheel that like just continues to cycle and I want to be able to break that cycle for a child or children so that they can have other opportunities other than just the continuation of that cycle. Now, this feels like really going further down the spiral of me playing a therapist on a podcast. But when you talk about children, you know, involved in a family dynamic where there's substance abuse, mm-hmm. I, I guess, tell me, did you have those sort of brushes when you when you were growing up that that sort of instability that, that stemmed from from a, from a parent, relative, uncle, third cousin who was addicted? Yeah, um, I mean, I think my both sides like my both sides of my family have substance use issues um maybe not like currently but I don't think it was never an issue and like I said mental health pretty much always ties into substance use whether it's like developed before or after so yeah I feel like that was part of my growing up and I don't I don't think I had like a terrible upbringing or anything but I think especially for someone that goes to school for psychology I'm like oh like that all makes a lot of sense (laughs) right that checks out (laughs) that tracks so Mm -hmm. okay if if it's cool with you getting into your background of why we're here now why you work with this population why you do MKE OP, that's what we're doing. We're going with it. Uh, when when did when did substances uh, you know en- enter the picture for you? What did that look like? Um, I was definitely a teenager. I remember being like kind of a square because I feel like I was twelve and hanging out with a couple girls that were maybe like fourteen, and one of them was smoking a cigarette, and I was like, oh my god, like that's so bad. But then like. I was actually listening to Dan talk on his podcast about how he, I forget exactly what he said, but that he kind of like romanticized drug use or something, Um, which I feel like in my mind, like looking back that that's maybe something that I did, like as I got more of a teenager and would like watch movies or things, I'm like, I mean, I could definitely see what's attractive about that. And then I think growing up, because I did grow up in Detroit and then also grew up in Wisconsin. Um, and when I moved to Wisconsin, like I had no family there. And we also moved to a part of like Waukesha County that was awful for me, like just not diverse, um, not like it was very like about sports and having things. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck about 
either of those things. Like you don't you don't give a shit about the Brewers game that I screamed my lungs out at yesterday. Well, no, I'm like I'm all for like if you like. I mean, I'm down to like watch a Bucks game or something. Um, I guess just like the emphasis of sports in high school and like oh, people who are a little bit two dimensional, right? And like having money and like, but like that's like money is not. I mean, money is some people's personality trait, but it's not a personality trait. Um, so it, it was just, that was a struggle for me. So I think like self-medicating when substances became available, like obviously I think I started with drinking or smoking weed. I never really got into drinking in high school. Like I just didn't really see the appeal in it. Same. And smoking weed, was like fine whatever but like I think I always yearned for something that was more like I don't want to think about or feel anything Mm -hmm. well this is an interesting point where it's really easy for me to say that like my mental illness growing up was like the sole reason why I became an addict it's really easy to try to Uh draw that straight line but going back to what you said before, there is that romanticizing that we see it in the media. We see it in the older kids and we see uh-huh. that it, it looks cool or it looks sensational. And then we try it and it and it works for the purpose uh-huh. of of coping. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wait, I have mental health problems and an addictive personality. So this is working a little too well for me. Yeah, exactly. Mm uh-huh. So when, uh, I mean, when does, uh, you said that you wanted something a a bit more foolproof in terms of turning off your feelings. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think because I went to a high school that it's in Heartland. So, um, I think there's only one high school in Heartland. Uh, it's, you know, for some, a lot of people I went to high school with, like that was their peaking in life was high school and like so I mean smoking weed was just a way to chill with like people that were more down to earth and but also then kind of outcasted me from like the societal norm of high school so I think I in turn hung out with kids that were older than me that had access to like substances that were you know, like a lot of pharmaceuticals. Um, and I think I did drink in a problematic way, but it was also never like the thing that I was looking for. Right. So, yeah, I think obviously pharmaceuticals were given out a lot easier than they are now at that time. Cause mm-hmm. this was like 20 years ago. Um, so for me, it was just a lot of, taking whatever pills people had but obviously opiates were always a big um big score mm-hmm, mm-hmm. favorite so i'm going to be highly inappropriate from for a moment here you said that this is like 20 years ago so that's well, I guess that's not 20 i don't know okay i just I'm, I'm trying to get a gauge of like how long ago that was without asking you how old you are <laughs> Um, I mean, so I didn't graduate from high school the way I should have. I moved back to Michigan and got my GED, but I should have graduated in 2007. Okay, got it. Mm -hmm. So how long do you stay in that spiral uh, in terms of uh, addiction? I mean, I think, so I think I used like severely from like 2006 or seven to or late 2011 or 12 really badly um and I think the deeper I got into like using pharmaceuticals the less I cared about other things like heroin and so and the less I cared about myself or other people so it was easy for me to like justify Mm. when pharmaceuticals were not available justify using like graduating to IV drugs. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's in like the early, like 2010s then somewhere thereabouts or, mm-hmm. okay. What, 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 what made the difference? You know, what, what, what was the turning point for you? How, how does, how does that moment happen? 
it, I don't know. It was just weird because, like, I don't think I could ever work in substance abuse or anything because I don't really – like, I just woke up and one day and I was like, I'm really tired, like, and – I feel like for a couple months I had been in this, like, like, this is, I'm going to die mm-hmm. and it is what it is. And like, I'm either going to get like, like shoot up and die, or I'm going to get a terrible infection of some sort that's going to kill me, or I'm going to get put in this situation to either get money or get drugs that is not going to end well. Um, so it was kind of that feeling and also like mixed with homelessness for the last few months or like year of my using. And then, yeah, I think I just honestly got tired. Like, like I don't have the fucking energy anymore to like hustle some money up to get drugs. And then I don't have the energy to die. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, basically like, And so, and I think I had went to, you know, I probably went to like six or seven rehabs. And when I finally ended up going to the last one, um, it was UCC, which was amazing. And because it was very like, uh, it's in Milwaukee. And I think maybe for some people, removing them from their environmental factors or situation could possibly help them but for me it's like I inevitably I am gonna live here so I need to learn how to function in this community and without using drugs and so like it was great because the amount of freedom that they gave you of like okay you can leave between these hours every day and like you could have to take a drug test every single day or I might not drug test you for a week, but you never know. And like also the attitude of the staff at the time was pretty great because it was like, I don't care if you stay or not. Like, Mm. and it also wasn't forced from like court or like family or anything. So it was really like for me, like, do you want to stay here or not? Yeah, so for the first few times, were you were you being shipped off to to other parts of the country or? Um, no, I mean, I think I just went to like I went to one rehab in Colorado, which was like gorgeous, but and like <laughs> amazing. Like I would like to just go hang out there now. Um, but also, it wasn't. It was very early in my drug use, and like I was nowhere near wanting to quit or. <laughs> It was very like familial pressure and not for myself. I'm like, okay, well, this is a fun break. And like now I'm like on Pike's Peak in this old bed and breakfast and like also meeting all these people that didn't meth. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? Like, Hmm. I literally hate being awake. Like, why would you want to be awake for several days? That's insane. I I do I I love where you were going with that and what I was picking up on what happened at UCC. Uh, I, this is gonna feel like a tangent, but I promise I'm I'm gonna do my best to stick the landing. I recently watched the Michael Moore film, uh, Where to Invade Next, where he goes to all these other countries and he finds all these brilliant ideas in all these other nations. And he's like, I'm going to take that and bring it back to the United States. And one of the places I think it, I'm going to totally butcher this now. And maybe it's Norway Mm -hmm. where he, where he goes and he visits like a maximum security prison Uh where it's like nice. Yeah. And you have convicted murderers working Mm -hmm. in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Every inmate has a key to their own cell and what do you know? Their recidivism rate is virtually nil. Mm-hmm. So for you at UCC, there was a certain amount of compassion and ownership mm-hmm. of your own recovery, right? Yeah, like it's in, which I think is why I care so deeply for harm reduction because it can have so many facets, and also like it is giving tools to people to have autonomy over their own body and not having decisions made for them but just having the resources and accessibility to make 
ed, you know, if they're going to make a decision, then make the most educated decision that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I don't think that you can force someone into recovery. And I know that there is people that like will have a legal problem one time and go to drug court and never use again or, you know, have like a family intervention and never use again. Um, But I think that's like extremely rare. Yeah. Those are the outliers most certainly. Mm-hmm. So when, when you were really in it with, with, with IV use, did you, mm-hmm. did you have any concept of, of harm reduction? Was it, was that ever in yeah. your, in your scope? Um, I mean, I think I was like, wise enough to know like okay i shouldn't be using other people's needles and things like that um but i mean as far as like knowing about resources no i didn't really know about money yeah yeah so when did you do the uh when did you go to ucc i know that you 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 had i want to say it's like 2011 okay because i so i lived there for three months and then i um did outpatient for three months yeah it was it was very helpful um I also had been like so many times of quitting that I think like one of the first times that my parents when my parents were still married and they took me to a rehab um I remember like the doctor that we saw before I think it was like Rogers or something and he was like, I would never recommend methadone to someone like, you know, it's just like that person's still using drugs and blah, blah, blah. And it's terribly addictive. And I'm like, yes. Um, I mean, so are opiates. And But so, I mean, when I did end up quitting, I think I did use methadone for like maybe almost a year. I never really got very high into the milligrams because I just never, I didn't want to, it also irritated me, like, having to go there on a daily basis, like, that aspect irritated me, because I'm like, okay, this is the shit that I used to have to do every morning, is, like, go to my fucking dealer's house, and I don't want to do this forever, even though it is a more controlled environment of, like, seeing your therapist, and I just maybe wish that that option would have been given to me earlier, because then, Maybe I could have gone to like three rehabs instead of <laughs> seven. <laughs> well, tell me about that year. You know what what happened with your mindset? I know that. Uh, I mean, when you're really in it, yeah. I know from my from my perspective, it was like I wasn't just in it to keep the party going. Like I just I wanted to stop feeling and I wanted to stop yeah. being. Uh, yeah. What What was that year like for you? Was there a point where where you where you really started to feel genuinely better, not just, not just physically, but mentally and better about life. I mean, yeah, like obviously not doing shady things to get money is always nice. Like knowing where you're going to sleep and get food and being able to like do have, have things like have clothes and do laundry and, use your own bathroom just have like some sense of privacy and not like oh you know this person's letting me stay at their house because for a week because I go get my oxy in a week and I have to give them some or something um so yeah I mean it was definitely the first couple years of my recovery were very like me getting to know myself me finding like a home in my body Mm. because it felt very foreign to me because I I had spent so much of my adolescence using substances to make me not feel like I was in my body or not feel like I was anywhere. And then you you get all those emotions that are just burning, just burning white hot. How how did how did the good emotions feel? Because I'm going to be honest, like oftentimes with with my with my substance abuse, like the highs, the the good feels were just as hard to deal with as the mm-hmm. lows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they did feel uncomfortable, and I think they did come with like also this 
guilt of like, you know, my, one of my parents was like, okay, you can live with me. And my other parent was very guarded, but rightfully so, because I took, I mean, both of my parents, I took advantage of a lot in the way of like stealing from them and using them to continue my drug use. So I understand that guardedness, but um, just like spending time with them or having them help me also brought a lot of guilt because like I felt bad. I still feel bad. Yeah. I I don't think we ever quite, I, I still on a, on a regular basis would be like, how the fuck did I end up deserving this life? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, how, how can this possibly be my life? Mm-hmm. Why, 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 how am I happy? <laughs> so, I mean, let's start getting into the, into the, you know, where we are now. How do, how do things proceed? How do you start getting into working in the fields that you're working in now? And I do have a question about semantics because we've talked about, we've talked about your, your work as well as where you were in terms of couch surfing, mm-hmm. homeless versus unhoused. Have, have you heard this debate at all? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so with programs that work with housing, there is so HUD housing and urban development, they give a lot of money to these programs. So a lot of the standards for homelessness are set by HUD. Um, So it's like weird, but there's categories to homelessness. So category one is the most critical. And that means that like you sleep in a space that is uninhibitable, like outside or a car or in a tent somewhere um like something that's not safe and healthy Mm -hmm. and then level two it means that you do have places to stay so you're not outside but also it's not like you don't have your name on a lease you don't have a home like you could experience category one homelessness several times a month but it's Mm -hmm. not all the time but i mean does this basically mean that the the word the term unhoused would only apply to category one effectively and and is it a word that we could ever possibly embrace because i like the idea of the word unhoused as opposed to homeless yeah um i guess definitively i feel like unhoused would be homeless Mm -hmm. so i mean i feel like it's not wrong but like maybe it is not giving like the shutting the light that need like homeless is a dramatic word and because it is a fucking dramatic situation yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so it's so it's semantics and making that shift actually could be detrimental because Mm -hmm. it it softens it huh Mm -hmm. yeah that's like i think my problem sometimes with uh liberal things is that like you try to be so kind about your semantics that it's actually problematic to the person in the situation. Like just call it what it is. I'm fucking homeless or, you know, like we don't have to beat around the bush or be nice. Like I need help. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I'm so glad that I asked you that because, you know, I was listening to one of my rival podcasters, Mark Marin. Mm-hmm. who you know we're constantly going at each other because we're on like a level playing field me and the WTF <laughs> podcast and he and he's made an emphasis about using the word unhoused as opposed to homeless and you know i think that i definitely fall into that trap of of wanting to use uh terms that are a little bit gentler but i mm-hmm. i definitely appreciate that and i sh- you know, one thing that I'm trying to strike a balance with as I get involved with some local groups, like um, there's a group in Washington County called Elevate, you know, that's that uh, addresses it, it's sort of the modern dare program where, you know, they're getting programming for for youth in terms of uh, addressing substance abuse and such. So as I work with them and discuss some opportunities for me to share my story, I know that that's a slippery slope for me to go and talk to 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 go talk at an assembly and mm-hmm. be like, yay, look how I turned out. Mm-hmm. Because to a certain extent, it sends the message that like you can you can be a walking dumpster fire for years, but but you'll survive it. Everything can be just fine. Because mm-hmm. if I'm a kid, I'm like, 
oh fuck well i can go on a bender then for 10 15 years <laughs> yeah like, I'll, co I'll come out alive yeah yeah i mean it is tricky um because i i don't and i think that's why i like doing harm reduction and i don't think i would ever work in like I, I don't know. I don't think I could ever work at like a treatment center because I am not sober and, but that was, and that's my shit. And like, I don't use, you know, I, I'm not homeless because I sometimes drink alcohol or use THC and like, I'm never gonna like steal or not go to work or not have a home or not take care of myself because of those things. And I also didn't like immediately get out of treatment and then start using those things. All right, let's take a moment and hear from some of the kick-ass sponsors of 40,000 Steps Radio. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out DUISycamore.com or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000, visit DUISycamore.com, or you can email duibhs at gmail.com. You know I'm an anxious person. Well, I'm really worried about my good friend, Mother Earth. And that's why I love Bamboo Works. Bamboo Works creates stylish, sustainably made, high-quality sports apparel. Headbands, wristbands, gaiters, beanies, even performance masks. The wristbands, they've got this pocket where you can put your ID or frozen gel packs. Bamboo Works does more than athletic apparel. You gotta check out their amazing trucker hat. It's got that rubber enclosure. So if you're like me and you like to flip the cap around, it's not gonna leave that annoying dent in your forehead. Bamboo Works sources its product materials in eco-friendly, sustainable manner. This goes beyond the apparel. They're focused on sustainability when it comes to production and their packaging. We're all trying to do our part to take care of the planet, but shouldn't we look good doing it? That's where Bamboo Works comes in. Visit BambooWorks.com, that's B-A-M-B-U-W-E-R-X.com to learn more, or head to 40,000steps.com to check out Bamboo Works' exclusive line of 40,000 Steps gear. Bamboo Works, skin-friendly, earth-safe, it's apparel for today's active lifestyle. I learned in rehab at Gateway Foundation that being an alcoholic didn't make me a bad person. It made me a sick person, and no different than someone with cancer or diabetes. And during my time at Gateway, I started finally getting healthy again. Folks, we're living through stressful, unprecedented times, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with that stress and anxiety, it's stronger now than ever before. Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient, as well as virtual programs, so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your home. Don't wait to get the help you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. And back to our conversation. I'm so glad that we're getting into this because this is such a huge thing with, uh, with what you're doing in harm reduction. Where are we at with this? Are, are we, are we getting to a, a place in harm reduction where, because 
okay, so I'm putting on this show in DeKalb called This Is My Brave. Mm-hmm. And I, like, ever since you brought it up, I'm starting to, I don't know if it's serendipity, but I'm running into people who it's like, you make this assumption that they're teetotalers, like across mm-hmm. the map, completely mm-hmm. sober. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy performing who was a heroin addict for many years. Like, he did the math. It was like within a course of one year, he spent $50,000 on drugs. It's insane. Mm-hmm. But he's not sober. He mm-hmm. still he still drinks. Are, are we uh, are we making progress with that? And uh, I think it's hard because it's such like a personal thing to everyone, you know. Like, and I think there's so many things that people can find. Like, I mean, anything could be addictive. At the end of the day, like mm. people can spend. Obviously, gambling is addictive. Like. I don't care about gambling. Like I've been to Potawatomi a couple of times and I was like, well, that was fucking dumb. Like <laughs> I want my $20 back. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm addicted to this stuff. I'm addicted oh, yeah. to attention. Coffee. I'm addicted to exercise. Yeah. 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 And like some addictive behaviors are healthy. Um, I guess it's just all about like balance and just knowing when, you're in a place of like, am I using this to positively impact myself or my mental health? Or am I doing this? Is like, is this a negative thing? Am I avoiding something mm-hmm. by using this? Or so, I mean, I never want to be like, tell people, hey, like, you know, oh, you're doing meth? Like, well, let's quit doing that. And like, maybe like we can just go out for drinks or something. But like, mm-hmm. I've also met a lot of people in the past year that are like, I don't do meth and I'm happy about that, but like, I will still go out for drinks. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Like, I don't care. I think for me, harm reduction means being a good person and being a good person to those around you and not like negatively impacting them. You know, I I definitely take great issue with how pervasive alcohol is in our culture Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and how we don't have better interventions in place to help people to help people do alcohol safely. Right. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. To do that drug safely. But my wiring is that I can't have just one drink. Right. There's a shitload of people who can. I think I think actually uh, like the majority of the population can have a drink after a long week at work in order to just sort of let go of all the shit that happened to them that week. Mm-hmm. I'm envious of those people. I, I, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Is there times that I drink more than I should? Probably. But like I am not making poor decisions because I drink a bottle of wine. Yeah. So let's talk about the machinations of uh, MKEOP. Mm-hmm. Now, what what are you guys up to? What sort of impact are you seeing your work having? When when did actually I should ask this? When did it come to be? Give give me a little history lesson. Um. So it was, I want to say August of twenty one. I had not become a social worker yet, and I was working for a healthcare corporation and. Obviously, I'm aware of what Narcan is because of my past drug use, but also just knew a lot about fentanyl and like was listening to a really good Vice podcast about fentanyl being so pervasive into U.S. drugs. Um, And one of the days I was working at a clinic and someone came in or well they came outside and they had someone in their car that had overdosed and they ended up dying before they got into the building Mm. but there was like an insane amount of medical staff that were like I was trying to say like Narcan needs to be used and like then I'm getting into an argument with a medical assistant that's in my department about you can only give one dose of Narcan and I was an EMT and I'm like well good for you I was a fucking heroin addict but like Mm. I know what I'm talking about. Um, And so I think it was very traumatic for me to see this person die as well as like everyone else that was there that day. And then it was also very frustrating to me that like there's Narcan in this pharmacy, like 300 yards from where this person died. And 
it was never even tried. And, you know, it's just, I met with a doctor for coffee the other day that was like, I'm like, it makes me sick how many people work in medicine that don't know what Narcan is or like, why is it not just out in healthcare clinics? Like, yeah. and he was like, yeah, I mean, I am a whole doctor and we never learned about it in medical school. So, wow. okay. Mm-hmm. I, I always qualify every question in this podcast with you do not have to answer this question. Mm-hmm. Did you ever, ha- did you ever have your life, your life saved by Narcan? Um, I didn't. I think I quit using right around the time that like, uh, fentanyl really, I mean, the couple of times I did use fentanyl, it was medical fentanyl. So it was like a patch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I never, there was times where like I overdosed, but then it was very like taken care of in a very problematic way. Like, oh, okay, you, like let's give this person some opposite drugs to wake them up, and yeah. which I don't recommend. But here I am. <laughs> so, from what I uh, I read recently, that UW Milwaukee. For mm-hmm. those for those not uh, in or around Milwaukee, there's the two biggest universities in town are UW Milwaukee and Marquette University. Mm-hmm. Uh, UW Milwaukee now has a couple of uh, a couple of locations on campus where where Narcan is readily available. How cool is that? I mean, that's great. It needs to be like in every dorm and um, in the health center. It just needs to be out. What's the sticking point? What's what's in the way of doing that? Because I mean, a couple of locations are perfectly fine. Why not more? Um, I mean, I'm sure that's their bureaucratic like UW system shit. But in reality, it needs to be everywhere because college is extremely experimental phase for a lot of people, especially people that. I mean, much of Wisconsin is rural, so, like, that feels like a huge city to students that come, and then, like, they're trying a drug for the first time, and they die. Oh, shit. I mean, you you, you said it before that you didn't drink much in high school. I found my drug of choice in Milwaukee. That's where the world Mm -hmm. opened up to me in terms of alcohol and marijuana. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how about Jesuit school bureaucratic stuff? Uh, from what I understand, uh, Marquette hasn't made a move on this yet. Um, no, and I am. I have like spoken with, like I've spoken with departments of UWM, and I have training set up with specific departments of UWM and Marquette. But it's not. I would really love it to be like a part of orientation of like, even if it's just. 90 seconds of like Narcan this is what it does and here's the spots you can get it or here's harm reduction and like if you want to research that or get more involved on your own cool it's available well here's here's a two-part question you're making headway are we as a society I like to cling to the fact that we're making headway um how much does that help you keep coming back and doing the work, doing the exhausting work. We, we talked about it at the top. You're a fucking busy person. There's only so much time and you only mm-hmm. have so much mental health. How much do those little wins keep you coming back? And maybe how much do you sort of keep in mind that we're trying to turn a battleship in a bathtub right now? Mm-hmm. Like this, this is going to take time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, every person that comes that, to a training that, you know, whether I talk to them for 30 seconds or 30 minutes like that keeps me very motivated. Um, especially when it's people that are like coming for, you know, this ex person in my life uses and I just, I don't want them to die. That's Mm -hmm. great. Like that's the goal is that no one dies because you know, there's no, the person who does die cannot learn a lesson and like, grow from that and it's also extremely traumatic for everyone in their lives so i wish i could spend more like i want to quit my job and do harm reduction but um 
I live in a capitalist society that requires money to pay bills and things, so I can't. So yeah, that it keeps me super motivated. And also just having like so many allies and seeing that people, even though harm reduction is not a new thing, it's been around for a long time, it's still very taboo for some people. So seeing people that I maybe didn't think would come to a training or email or call or reach out, be there is great because like, if they have changed their minds, then they can probably also change the mind of those in their life that might have the same mindset. And they can change two minds and they can change two minds. Exactly. We're, all, we're all counting on the butterfly effect here. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, the reality also is that we all have mental health problems. Like if someone says like, I'm not anxious or I'm not depressed, like, okay that's a lie but like that's for you to work on and not me i don't know there are sociopaths among us but yeah yeah and like when you just feel comfortable in your body at all times i just don't believe it yeah yeah are, are you gonna be at uh are you gonna be at the daily bird for uh for training tomorrow i am not Oh, duh. <laughs> you're, you're out of pocket. <laughs> Stay where you are. Recharge. Yes, yes, yes. Give me give me an idea because I'm going to go. What can I anticipate? What's the vibe like? Um, It's super chill. Dan is I fucking love Dan. Um, And he so so I started doing these trainings and I had already been certified through what is now uh, Vivent and it used to be AIDS Resource Center or yeah, AIDS Resource Center. Um, so now it's Vivant. It's still in the same place downtown. They have harm reduction. They have a needle exchange. Um, and I used to work at an abortion clinic a few years ago that had, you still had to have a prescription for Narcan and nasal Narcan was very expensive and it still is, um, but it wasn't like as accessible. So I got trained on how to use the vials and the syringes and then because I was like, why do we have opiates in our clinic for procedures? And then also a population of people, clients, patients that either use opiates themselves or have someone with them that clearly has substance use disorder. Um, and we don't have this in the clinic, like, because someone could come in and have used already and then we give them more. So it's like, Wait, what? Why is this not here? Um, you, you know, I uh, in my my prim my primary vocation is I'm a freelance writer. I write for a healthcare system, albeit in Texas, mm -hmm. and I hear all the time as I'm talking with folks in in ERAS that uh, they're working really hard to take more of a multimodal approach mm -hmm. in order to play their role in turning this thing around and and cutting down on more drug diversion and stuff so i i'm not sure what's going on in our neck of the woods but i'd like to hope that that's a universal theme among large healthcare systems uh i don't know like i mean i think there are people in healthcare systems that think and feel the way that i do but i don't know if it's like their policy to educate or enact these harm reduction tools in their clinics. Well, well, and I get so used to throwing around the word multimodal, like everybody out there knows what the hell I'm talking about. It took me a while to realize what it is. And basically it's treating the patient holistically. Right. And we mm -hmm. keep coming back to holistically where like physicians and physician assistants and such, they're actually like getting to know their patients and mm -hmm. figuring out how to help them recover from surgery without just, you know, having like a, a 30 day prescription. Or better yet, because of technology, we're getting into more of interventional radiology where we don't always have to cut people open. So right. we're making strides and I'm kind of banking on that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I warned you that I'm really feeling chilled today. And as a result, like I, I didn't quite uh, catch exactly what you were saying before about Vivant and a needle exchange. Oh, okay. where, where, where's that based? So it's on Plankington downtown in Milwaukee, but they also they have a few locations um, I know for sure they have one in Madison as well, and it's connected to the AIDS Resource Center. But so that is how 
you know, like this process began a few years ago. And then um, when I had seen someone overdose and die, and then a few weeks later, the same thing happened in my neighborhood. I just wanted it to be accessible to everyone. So when I first started doing trainings, Dan was also already doing his trainings. And I don't remember exactly how we got connected, but um, yeah, I was like, let's like, I want to do this. And I mean, since then it's grown to so much more than just Narcan, um, but I wanted to do more trainings. I wanted to have not just the syringes because people, I mean, it's already like a hectic situation and a lot of people are not comfortable with syringes because they aren't comfortable using them or it like is triggering to them. Mm-hmm. So um, Dan connected me with our other partner that does MKEOP with us. And it's uh, his name's Ryan. He works in MAT counseling. So like um, medication assisted like methadone, Suboxone. Um, so he helped me become Narcan Direct so that I can order Narcan from the state Department of Health Services and it's free. Um, it's all nasal Narcan. So that has been immensely helpful because then I don't have to rely on the needle exchange um, and also have more access to nasal Narcan and not the syringes. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. This is this is why I, I I love meeting people and doing these things. I didn't know that we had a needle exchange in town. Like oh that. yeah, we have several. Like um, so there's AIDS Resource Center. There's uh, 16th Street Clinic has harm reduction. Um, it only makes sense, but I've just I've never been aware of them because mm-hmm. well, first off, I'm new here. Well, it's new new to me. I'm I'm new being back here. Mm-hmm. Like. I know that you grew up in, in Michigan. Like uh, have those, have those locations really kind of multiplied over the past several years? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, like there is more funding for them. There's more people that want to be involved in the work, even if it's, you know, I've, I have so many people that constantly reach out about how they can help. And I'm like, I really fucking need help. Like this is a lot for, you know, one person or two, three people. Um, I just have to figure out how to like, I have to have like a volunteer clinic or something to like be like, okay, what, you know, this is our mission. So what can you commit to if you want to commit to this? I know that it's a slippery slope of always working. And I know that you're, you're off the grid a little bit, but you're not. I know that you're working remotely. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that you carved out some time for me today because I'm just, I'm so excited to play what little part that I can. And yeah, I, I, this, this is, this has been pretty rad and I can't wait. And I can't wait to please here. I am. Send me, send me, uh, let me know any way that, that, that I can help out. I I love that. We're going to, that we have the ad running on the podcast, but Please, this you know, this is what we do as 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 workaholics and like people who are compassionate to a fault. Like, uh, let me know any way that I can help you out. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, that's amazing. I and same to you. Um, and also like this is my motivational fuel. So like I've been looking forward to like, yay! I get to talk about harm reduction and not like why why housing isn't a human right and go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, no, this, I mean, and and again, I was just talking about it in another interview that it's like, if I were to not do stuff like this, if I can't, you know, if, if I elected to take time for myself, then I'd be like, I need to be fucking doing stuff. Yeah. It's like, like that. I'm, I feel like my addiction is like work and like, that's Mm -hmm. my way of avoiding my shit is like, Oh, I have to deal with someone else's shit, which is like more dramatic than mine at the moment. So like I'm distracted and I can't work on myself. Sorry. Well, you relax, please, please do do it for me and do it for all the rest of us who are, who are counting on you. We're all counting on you. No pressure. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't make me stressed at all. 
I'm feeling great. <laughs> Tongue firmly in cheek. I really appreciate you, and I'm so glad that we got the chance to just chat and that when I got the chance to meet you, period. Hey, I got to pee, so I got to okay. go. Okay, okay, have a great day. <laughs> All right, we'll talk soon. Folks, it's not hyperbole. If we work toward change, if we get trained on Narcan, we can literally save lives. Thank you so much to Chelsea for joining me on the podcast. Thank you to all of you for listening. Do me a favor. Subscribe to this thing. That way every Tuesday you get that bing letting you know who's the guest that week. Please share it around. Give it a rating. Give it a review because that helps this thing get into more ears and helps us keep building this brilliant community that we got here. Until we catch up next time, just remember this. If it feels like the world is falling apart outside of this space that we share, right here we are always coming together. Folks, spread love. Take care of yourself and be excellent to each other. Peace. We out.